Welcome to Sliding Doors, the podcast that delves into the decisions and moments that shape our lives. I am Jenny Becker, and throughout my life, career and relationships, I've always been fascinated with the notion that everything happens for a reason, alongside my love for the 90s movie classic, Sliding Doors. Have you ever really thought about those moments that shaped your life? Those decisions that could have gone either way in the opportunities presented to you? What if you had taken that job or told that person in high school how much you liked them? Each episode, I will talk to some amazing people from all walks of life and chat about their sliding doors moments. We will reflect on how a decisional moment changed the course of their lives and how things might have looked if they had never happened. So I'm really excited to announce that we are bringing back Sliding Doors Your Story and we want to invite you to be part of our upcoming mini-series Sliding Doors Your Story coming out this autumn. So what is your Sliding Doors moment? Perhaps you've had a twist of fate or a missed opportunity that really changed the course of your life. Maybe a friend or a family member has an amazing story that you believe is worth sharing. So whether it's love, life or career, we want you to share your sliding doors moments as your story really has the power to inspire others. So we've put the application link in the show notes of the podcast. It's also on our Instagram. So please apply with your sliding doors moments. The application shut on the 1st of September. So hurry up and apply now. We cannot wait to hear your sliding doors moments and hopefully hear you on our upcoming mini series, Sliding Doors, Your Story. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. My guest today is Owine Wynne Evans. Owine is an award winning television and radio presenter, best known as BBC Northwest Tonight and BBC Breakfast Weather presenter, as well as the host on the Early Breakfast Show on BBC Radio 2. Born in Wales, his career started early when he became a TV presenter of a children's news show in Wales. But Owen found national and international fame in 2020 when a video of him drumming along to the BBC News theme tune went viral. It was viewed over 10 million times online, and this was the platform for his incredible record-breaking 24-hour drumathon for BBC Children in Need, raising £3.8 million. As well as hosting his own daily radio show, which is the first ever national daytime radio show to be hosted in Cardiff, Owen is a regular reporter on The One Show and BBC Breakfast. In addition to his television work, Owen is known for his drumming, social media and LGBT activism and is an ambassador for the charity LGBT Foundation. 
Owain lives in Wales with his husband Aaron and is someone who has so many different talents and is loved by the nation. I cannot wait to delve into his sliding doors moments. So welcome to Sliding Doors, Owain. Jenny, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited for our chat. I'm so excited. I can't wait to chat. And I don't even want to think about what time you woke up this morning. (laughs) Well, you know, it's weird because I have over the years got very much used to early shifts and the alarm clock going off at all sorts of hours. But now I get up at 20 past three every day and I always make sure that I get my clothes ready. I know it does feel a bit like when you think about it, gosh, it's so early. But it's just like anything, you get used to it. And, you know, I feel like I've got the best job in the world, Jenny. I, I love doing my radio show. And it was a bit sad, you know, finishing um, being a weather presenter because I don't do that anymore. But when I was doing that, I was up early as well. So I've kind of been mm-hmm. conditioned into these hours in a lot of ways, you know. Yeah. And I was just saying to Owain, he looks very fresh faced. So it definitely does something <laughs> for him. And how, how, how is the radio show going? Because I think you're just about to hit your six month mark, aren't you? Yes, absolutely. We're about to hit our six month birthday and it's going really well. It, it's just such a, I love the early mornings, you know, and I think it's probably down to the fact that I've always been quite an early riser. But having doing jobs where I get up early anyway, you soon come to realize that when you wake up at that time and, you know, you're making your cup of tea in the kitchen and it's dark outside or whatever, and it's cold in the winter months, you feel like you're the only person awake at that time. But with Radio 2, what I've realized is that, you know, there are so many people who work shifts that aren't the conventional nine to five and, you know, whether or not they're nurses, hospital workers, you know, people who work for local councils, doing things like refuse collection or delivery drivers and lorry drivers. So it's a really lovely club to be a part of. And that's what I wanted to do with my show is, is make it feel like you're awake at that time, you're working, it could be the start of your shift or the end of your shift, but regardless, you're still in this club and we're awake at, I think, a special time of the day. You're totally right. Like there's, we think like, you know, we think jobs are just nine to five and there are so many people that have to kind of wake up at different hours of the day to kind of keep the world running. And do you feel like it's a real privilege to kind of be able to connect to a really unique community of people? Oh, hundred percent. I absolutely feel that because a lot of the time, these the jobs that a lot of the people who are up at you know these hours do they are the the jobs that keep the country running you know they are people who are whether or not it's opening up your local gym or delivering the food that are going to be on the shelves today or yeah. working in healthcare and also just people who are naturally early risers and we get quite a lot of international listeners on radio too as well so you know, there is this kind of plethora of listenership on a show like this one. And that I think makes it really special. And you feel, yeah, it's absolutely a privilege to be up at that time doing this sort of show with people and and reading out their messages who, you know, people who text in to tell me what they're up to at that hour. It's just wonderful. I love that. And actually it must have been so, must be so different for you from doing the weather. Cause I mean, everybody loves you. You're such a, you're like, you're like a national treasure um, to a oh, lot of people. You. But I guess when you did the weather, you weren't getting as much, I mean, on probably on social media, you were getting interaction, but you now get to really interact with people, I guess. And does that feel um, different for you? Yeah, it feels really different. It's, it has similarities in that when I was up early doing the weather, whether or not it was on Northwest Tonight up in um, Manchester, I, I lived in Manchester for years with Aaron, my husband, and then, you know, was broadcasting from Salford Keys, or or when I was doing BBC Breakfast there as well. You, you, you're up at a, an early hour and people are switching on their TVs to get their news. And the, the one interesting thing I found about the weather, Jenny, which I found for years... I left Cardiff for job opportunities many, many years ago now, and we moved to London. And when I started doing the weather outside of Wales in particular, I noticed that people, I think I decided to make, I made a conscious effort that I'm going to change 
the way that I look in that I wasn't going to adhere to this kind of heteronormative, mm-hmm. you know, just wear a kind of bog standard suit and tie. Yeah. You know, I wanted to embellish my look because I am quite a kind of flamboyant person. So yeah. this is where the brooches started happening. And this is where wearing things like blouses, you know, like I'm wearing a blouse today. And and people people loved it. Yeah. And that really made me realize how being a weather presenter is more than just telling people what the weather's going to do. You're sure. often a bit of light relief um, in a, a, a news agenda, you know, which can, especially over the past couple of years, and particularly since COVID, has been heavy at times. Mm-hmm. And I've really noticed that people want an, an opportunity to smile. And isn't it amazing to to be that thing that can just make people smile without distracting too much from what you're doing as your job? And I definitely take that forward with my job with Radio 2 now. And the interactions are huge. You know, we get so many texts into the show and and I adore that. But it's a it's a different type of interaction. Yeah. And it's a, an interaction that I adore. Absolutely. And you make such a good point because actually, you know, when you go on radio, you're not visual and people, you know, listen to your voice and they can get an understanding of your personality. But I think what's probably been really great for you is is to have had that that stint on the weather where people have really got to understand you and you can show them who you are and the colours that you wear and it all links together so that then they've taken that personality with them onto the radio. So I absolutely love that. And I want to go back a little bit and just find out what was life like for you growing up? So explain just a bit about kind of young Goai and growing up in ways what was life like for you? Well, I was very lucky. I grew up in a family, uh, in a household full of love. And my parents, who I adore, uh, you know, have have always, they've, they've been, they've always been people who have taught me that, and I see this in them every single day, you know, kindness is just a thing that uh, is reciprocated in life, I think. And when I was growing up in a place called Ammonford, which is an ex-mining town in Southwest Wales, mm-hmm. you know, we didn't have very much as far as money is concerned. We were a very working class family. Both of my grandfathers were miners working in coal mines. Oh. And, you know, my 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 grandmother on my father's side and, and my father, you know, my happiest memories were were playing in the, the the council estate, you know, the social housing, mm-hmm. as it was called, you know, back then it would be a council estate. You know, I loved spending time then. It's where I grew up. And we had a, a lovely time as a family. And even though we didn't have very much money, okay, you know, I never felt like I ever went without mm-hmm. anything, really. You know, my parents, my father worked hard, you know, he worked hard jobs, when you're a child, you don't realize this, yeah. you know, the stuff that your parents do for you. But it's definitely given me appreciation for those sorts of jobs. And and I often speak to people on my show, you know, who do those sorts of jobs. And I totally get it. And I love hearing from them because, you know, I know how important that work is. So growing up, it was, uh, Ammonford was a weird place back then because it's an ex-mining town. And I've spoken about this before, you know, growing up, there's a young gay man had its mm-hmm. difficulties and had its complications in that there were no kind of role models, Jenny. Yeah. You know, there, was, there wasn't there was a single kind of reflection of myself, mm-hmm. really, to be seen anywhere. So that made for a lonely time. Yeah. And one of the things that I turned to, I guess, were was music and drumming. Mm-hmm. And when my parents bought me my first drum kit, you know, it was a toy drum kit. I I loved it and I thrashed the thing and it fell <laughs> apart. But then I <laughs> I stuck to it and they um, bought me a secondhand drum kit then, like a proper, you know, big wow. drum kit. And it, it was things like that, that that shape you as a child. You know, I think music is the best gift you can give a child. Mm-hmm. And um it's it's been a thing that's been there with me throughout and then when i was a little bit older i became interested in djing ah. and my parents bought me a, a pair of turntables from that i guess it's really shaped me into being the person that i am now and it all stems back to the 
happy times I've had growing up. And, and Ammonford is a totally different place now. You know, there's a there's a youth group there that has a quite a prominent kind of LGBT presence, which is something I would never have thought yeah. that would have happened in Ammonford. But it's amazing how a place changes and how people change with it. And, and I love going home. Home's always home. Oh, that's incredible because you are such a big advocate for kind of the LGBT community. And is that because you really want to kind of inspire people and kind of get people to relate to what you went through in similar situations? Because yes, a lot of things have changed, but you know, you still had to grow up not feeling like you could be totally yourself. You didn't see people around you. And is that kind of why today it's really important that you want to keep telling your story and kind of being that ambassador? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's exactly how I would um describe myself, you know. I'm I'm not a campaigner. I'm I'm just a person who talks about their experiences and I speak about what it was like for me growing up and and even what it was like for me when I first entered the world of broadcasting as a mm-hmm. a young gay man, well as a teenager. So uh, these things have changed, but it's interesting when you hear sometimes about you know, people's experiences now being LGBT or queer and how actually things haven't changed Mm, (laughs) in a lot of ways as well. For sure. So I think, yeah, visibility is important and I think kindness is important. And and I think we can all realise that it doesn't cost anything to be nice, to be kind. And and sometimes people, sometimes people are scared of something that's different. And I totally get that, you know, but I think a bit of empathy and a bit of kindness goes a long way. And I think we can all do a bit of that, can't we? It totally does. And I have a friend that, you know, went through a similar situation growing up in a small town and was very from a very religious family. And I think what's interesting is, is that, you know, when you are from a very kind and nurturing family, um, I think it's still also just realizing things take time. And I think that's the thing that you always say is, is that, you know, it's, people just need to get used to things. And sometimes you've got to give that kindness back to be like, okay, I've got to just, you know, give this time, things will get better. And, you know, people sometimes don't know how to react and don't know what to do. But actually, as long as they're willing and open to learn about it, you can kind of be that person that opens their eyes. And do you feel like that's something that you like to make sure that people are aware of? Oh, absolutely. I think I've been visibly queer, you know, on TVs, Mm -hmm and on the radio and i've not done that intentionally as far as you know making sure that everybody knows i'm queer is concerned i've done yeah. it because i like wearing brooches you know and i like wearing mm-hmm. certain types of clothes and and i suppose my flamboyance and my unapologetic kind of campness um which i've allowed to come out a lot more because it's me um indicates that to a lot of people and and one of the things that i've always been amazed at Jenny and this happened only last week actually um and and it's happened a lot it happens regularly I was up in Salford in the University of Salford at um, a degree uh, at a um graduation ceremony there and I love being back up in the northwest anyway and you know two people came up to me one of them was a girl who said that she'd seen me doing the weather and just being myself and was a drummer. And she said that it was just seeing that person who is a little oh. bit of a reflection of yourself yeah. made her realize that she, you know, could come out. And then I met her girlfriend, you know, they were both there. Oh, and oh my gosh, it got me so emotional. And And I've had people's fathers come up to me when I'm out filming stuff, you know, saying that, this visibility or hearing me on the radio coincidentally talk about things just mm-hmm. as, you know, a straight person would say, oh, my wife, you know, a straight man yeah. would say my wife, blah, blah, blah. A, a, uh, a heterosexual woman would say my husband, you know, I say my husband mm-hmm. when I've been doing whatever with Aaron on, you know, the weekend or whatever. Yeah. So it's just that, it's just that visibility. And one, the one thing that I uh, love is that you, the kind of societal um, stereotypes that, you know, a certain person is going to be homophobic or a certain person isn't going to like this. 
Yeah, of course. You see that everywhere. You know, certain people don't like certain things, but I don't think you can apply stereotypes to it because mm. I have had the most amazing warm welcome from just just like everyone. Yeah. And of course you get the odd troll and you get the odd person who says this and says that, but you can't say that, you know, a, a certain person, a person who works in the arts is going to be, you know, more liberal and less likely to be, you know, have a problem with you being gay or whatever. Yeah. Or, you know, a person who works in what you would consider to be a more masculine or heteronormative environment is then going to be homophobic. It's such an interesting point for you to make because it is true. Like it doesn't come in just one shape and size. You you don't know where it's mm-hmm. going to come from. But what is amazing is, is that being able to hear the impact that you've had on other people just from being your authentic self. And I love that you say that because as you say, you're not trying to do anything. You're just being you. Um, yeah. And I just, I do want to talk about your drumming a little bit because I mean, I've always wanted to be a drummer, like on the side. <laughs> when I say I've wanted to be a drummer, I mean, I drum in the car on the steering wheel and I, it just looks nice. like an amazing skill to be able to just like thrash on the drums. And anyway, do you still drum? Like, is that something that you regularly do? Is it kind of an outlet for you? Oh, absolutely. And listen, I'm Jenny, I'm thrilled that you tap along on the steering wheel because that's what it's all about, you know, and drumming. Anyone can be a drummer. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I was playing the drums only yesterday. Um, I've set the drum kit up now, the percussive princess in the house. Nice. And um, it's a thing that I've used for years as a, a thing to help manage my anxiety. Mm-hmm. It's a creative kind of outlet as well for me. And it's just... Um, there's something about drumming that just takes your mind away because I think you have to concentrate on what you're doing. And also because it's so physical, you know, you're, you're using your entire body really to operate this thing. Mm. I think that it is very much a, it's, you know, you feel like you're part of it in a way. Yeah. You get absorbed into it. And, and that's one of the things I love about drumming. If you can find something that kind of is your outlet when, as you say, with stress, anxiety, um, and with anything like that, and it clicks with you, you've got to do it. And I love watching you drum because you can definitely see that come through. Um, Maybe maybe you'll inspire me to start drumming a little bit more. Um, (laughs) So before we go on to talking about your sliding doors moments, um, I wanted to ask you, what are your thoughts? I mean, let me know, first of all, what you think of the film, if you've seen it, but what are also your thoughts on the theory of the sliding doors? Um, concept so do you believe in fate timing coincidence everything happening for a reason what what do you believe in well I've not seen the film but I absolutely do believe that you know there is there's more to this life than we realize I'm not religious in any way but I do think that you know you you put your mind to things and you can kind of manifest things but I also think that sometimes you can be in the right place at the right time and that will open up a whole, that will cascade a whole new series of events before you that might not have happened had you not been at that moment. Mm -hmm. So I, I really do think that, is it fate? I don't know. Is it the universe? Yeah. Is it, you know, you manifesting? It's, I think it's a whole collection of things that kind of make opportunities but also, when you get those opportunities, one thing I've learned, again, probably to stem back to my parents, is hard work. You know, a lot of people think yeah. that, especially when you work in TV or broadcasting, that, you know, opportunities land in your lap and that you're chosen because you look a certain way or you are a certain person. And yeah, you know, there are um, uh, kind of examples of that, I'm sure, that have happened. But what I found, Jenny, is that it's a lot of hard work. That's what gets you places. But yeah, there's a little bit of the absolutely sliding doors in there every single time. I mean, luck is nothing without hard work um, at all. Like if you're not willing to work hard, the luck kind of won't flourish and won't come to you. And as you say, you don't need to kind of, it's hard to know what to believe in, but sometimes it's just having belief that sometimes things are meant to be. And I'm going to give you some homework that after this, you need to go and watch the film because I have a feeling that you'd really enjoy it. Oh, I must. And actually, wasn't it Aqua Turn Back Time? Wasn't that the... The music of the film, as I recall. It was. Great song, Jenny. I love it. 
you're already going to love the film. So I'm, I'm excited to hear your review once you've watched it. <laughs> well, listen, I will watch it and I will absolutely send that review your way, but I'm sure I'm going to love it. Perfect. So on to your first Sliding Doors moment then. So not intending to be a TV presenter, but seeing a job advert that my mother's friend sent to me for a job at the BBC for a presenter of a children's news programme. I messed up the screen test, hit water on the set, but somehow they liked me and I got the job at 18 years old. So this sounds like such a good one because there's so many what ifs in this story. And it also sounds like it was the catalyst to your whole career. So take us through what happened and explain why this was such a Sliding Doors moment for you. Oh, well, it was just the start of everything in a way. And I left school when I was 18, um, no, when I was 17 and, you know, didn't know what I really wanted to do. I had two kind of, you know, dreams, if you like, one of which was being a session drummer because I was drumming quite a lot in my teens. Mm -hmm. And I I was sort of semi-professional by the time I was sort of 18, you know, I was in recording studios, drumming ah. in bands and, and for people. But it was very much a kind of a, a hobby as well. But there was work involved there. So yeah. with it being my delight, I was, you know, that was one thing that I really wanted to do. But because I'm self-taught and I don't read music, I, in order to become a kind of fully fledged professional session drummer, you need to be able to read music so you know you can go into a theater whatever an audition and you can just read a score um I couldn't do that so the plan was to take a year out um and get my grades up on the drums but I was also interested in lighting you know I collect vintage disco lights and moving lights oh my god so I love that yeah it's so weird Jenny it's so weird it's like the weirdest <laughs> like hobby ever and, <laughs> my poorest long-suffering husband has to deal with you know after oh, a glass of amazing. wine I'll buy another vintage light I can just see you on the drums with all these lights just flashing around you <laughs> honestly that is my happy place that is my happy place okay good um, good but I um, was interested in robotic lighting. So I went to university for a term to study theatre design and lighting design. But the university I went to didn't have any robotic lights, which was a problem for me because that's what I was interested in. So I dropped out. Then the plan was, you know, okay, let's do the drumming thing, take a year out to get my grades up. But then in the meantime, um, a good friend, one of my, one of my best friends, um, Samantha and Joanna, who have been, you know, my friends ever since I was in school and I adore them. And the girl's mother, Anne, who I, I still do call her Mammy Anne. Mm-hmm. And Mammy Anne saw this um, advert in the paper because I was looking for, for work as well, because, you know, I, I wasn't going to stay at home and not work. And my parents couldn't really afford to support me. Yeah. So... I applied for all sorts of jobs with local libraries. I was considering maybe at one stage joining the police force. And then Anne saw this job for a, it was a tiny little cut in the local newspaper. And it just said, um, BBC, you know, job looking for a presenter for a a relaunched kind of news program uh, for children. And I was just turned 18. And I looked super young, Mm -hmm. you know, I've always looked quite young and I look like a child. So I (laughs) thought, why not? You know, I I had no experience, didn't know what to expect. I'd never read an autocue before in my life, never seen a press release before in my life. So I um, applied for it, got called to a screen test in Cardiff. And I remember going to the screen test with Joanna, my friend. Uh, She waited in the car. And I remember walking into the doors of the BBC building in Cardiff, the old building, which was a this kind of gargantuan, um, brutalist, mid-century building, which I loved. It was an yeah. amazing looking building. And I love buildings and architecture anyway. And um, was very much, you know, deer in the headlights. Went to the screen test, was plonked in the studio 
and was literally like, what am I doing here? Oh my gosh, this is terrifying. <laughs> but just did it and read the autocue. Uh, then I tipped water on the set. Oh my and God. And I totally messed up the screen test. And then I left, you know, and I remember I was just leaving, feeling very kind of deflated, thinking, well, that was fun, but surely I've not got this job. Oh, well, back to the drawing board, you know, didn't think you know, the drums were still there. Mm-hmm. And then I got a phone call 15 minutes later offering me the job. Wow, that quick. Yeah, it was so quick. And I remember, you know, the people behind that show, um, a, a man called Johan Kidd and a lady called Rianne James, they were the um, editor and sort of executive producer of the show. They gave me that opportunity, Jenny, and yeah. they changed my life. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't for them, and if it wasn't for that moment, I probably wouldn't be doing this now. And I owe a lot to them. And yeah. they then helped me through the years become a live TV presenter. And, you know, within, I think, two months of me getting the job, I was presenting a live show every day, wow. you know, off autocue, a news program, becoming a journalist and it was just the most incredible moment. What a brilliant moment. There's so many bits to unpicking it. Because, I mean, the first of all one is, if you'd have gone to university and they had had robotic lighting, if that's the correct thing that you said, yeah, you would have stayed at university and gone on to do lighting. So that's the first thing that kind of spared you into this thing. And then, obviously, um, your friend's mum. And, you know, if she hadn't have seen this and sent it to you, you know, you wouldn't have seen it in the newspaper. So that's another kind of little small catalyst. But but also what I really like is is, a, is that it sounds like you were just really yourself when you went to your audition. And you kind of feel like, you know, when you did tip the water over and things kind of went a bit wrong, did you feel like the pressure came off and you were just being yourself? A little bit, yeah. And I think afterwards, after I felt like I'd messed up the screen test and I then had an interview, like a more formal interview, I kind of already felt like I'd messed it up. So I felt like I'd kissed the opportunity goodbye already and that it had been put to bed. Yeah. But then, yeah, I guess they got to know me and they realized that, you know, I I was young and I I think I was very kind of, I suppose the audience could relate to me in a way because I also didn't go to the screen test wearing a suit. I didn't go to the audition wearing a suit. I remember myself thinking, no, this is for a kid's news program. I'm not going to be wearing a suit. You know, I'm going to wear... I, rem- I can tell you what I was wearing. Now, Jenny, I was wearing brown jeans, right? Dark brown <laughs> jeans with white trainers. Nice. And I don't know if you remember in the... So this would have been 2002, maybe. There was this trend for men in particular to wear shirts that looked like they'd been creased, put in a tumble dryer on like 90 degrees. Yes, I remember. That's the shirt I was wearing. And, um, you know, I remember seeing some other people when I was leaving, going to the audition, wearing suits. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm not wearing a suit. Have I, you know, I've absolutely made the, the wrong decision here. And they told me afterwards that I was the only one who didn't go to that screen test. Um, wearing formal interview wear and maybe that was the first time actually that I made a decision to you know wear what I wanted to wear and and then it it showed that I am who I am I guess yeah Exactly. And like even the decision, you know, the decision of what you wore that day, but even the decision to go to the audition, you know, it when you've never done something like that before, if someone says, oh, you should go for this, it's not, you know, we don't often say yes to those things. And I think you sounded like you were just at a time when you just were open to opportunity. And as you say, like 18 is still quite young to be thrown into a TV job. Did you feel, did you just kind of learn your craft then as you were working there? Um, And was it kind of the best kind of university to be able to learn how to do what you do? Oh, it absolutely was because I was 18. You know, my friends were in uni. Some of them were in uni in Cardiff. So I had this amazing job and I would then of an evening, go and see my friends and sometimes would go out, you know. In So Amazing. I just had this like, yeah. incredible kind of, it was a bit of a student life. 
with Sam and Joe, um, who were both in uni in Cardiff. Um, it was hard work because I did encounter some, at, at some occasions in work, you know, it was a Welsh language program and Welsh mm-hmm. is my first language. Yeah. But I would never say that it's like Sunday school Welsh, as a lot of people say. And, you know, I did come up against a bit of snobbery um, towards the Welsh language when I had that job from Welsh speakers who worked there. You know, people saying that I my Welsh wasn't good enough. People saying that, you know, really even even to the, the, the degree that the fact that I was from a working class family, you know, yeah. wasn't the norm mm-hmm. really back then in broadcasting. And I, and I did absolutely feel that 100%. And, and, and sometimes, you know, it's amazing the people you, you meet through your career, isn't it? You know, I started working there when I was 18 and, and you then meet people who have maybe said something to you when you were younger or have behaved a certain way towards you. And then you, you meet them when you're doing a job that they deem to be, you know, a success. And I'm like, gosh, haven't you changed in the way that you speak towards me? I find it hilarious. You're so right. I've had so many moments in my career where I used to work in fashion and I did lots of work experience and there were people that treated me appallingly. And then when I went to work and doing events at London Fashion Week and stuff, they're the ones that I had to put on the guest list to make sure they came in. And you're just like, how the tables have turned, but I'm always going to treat people with kindness, but I just love you to know that I have authority over you now. So it's just interesting. That's why you've always got to be kind to people. Absolutely. And this is a thing that I think, and I'm sure, well, that story that you just said then, you know, that is like a classic example of it, isn't it? Yeah. And I don't know if it made you feel, you know, when you were treated like that, and it didn't happen all the time, but it definitely Mm. happened to me. Yeah. I don't know if you felt like, well, I never want anyone to be made to feel Mm. the way that they made me feel. So you just, you don't do it then. I think there are two ways. You can either, if you can't beat them, join them. Yeah. Or there's the actually, no, I won't conduct my behavior in such a way, actually. It's so interesting. Yeah, I'm going to break the chain. Um, no, I love that so much. And how different do you think your life would be now? So if your, you know, if your friend hadn't sent you the job, if you decided not to go to the job, if you'd not got the job, um, how different do you think life would be? What do you think you'd be doing? That is a really good question because... Aaron and I speak about this sometimes, you know, and and Aaron thinks that no matter what I would have ended up doing, I I think I would, you know, I would have ended up here doing what I'm doing. And and I do kind of think that I think what's meant for you won't pass you by. Mm -hmm. And if you're meant to do something, your life will take you there uh, or the universe will take you there. And I, I do believe in that. But, but also because there were other things that I really enjoyed doing like the, you know, the lighting, as you said earlier, you know, if that university had had robotic moving lights, I'm, I probably would have loved my time there. Yeah. And I probably now, I don't know, I guess I'd be one of two things, I think, if I wasn't doing what I'm doing. I'd either be a, um, a lighting technician, a, a moving, they're called moving headlights, mm-hmm. um, a moving light operator, or I'd be a session drummer. Yeah. I think they're the two things that I that I, I love. But in a way, I I love that they're just hobbies now because I love drumming has become more part of my job, I guess, Jenny. But I love that it's my hobby and it's the thing that I do. And I love collecting these lights. So I get joy from those things now. Amazing. And what you said is so true. It's like the destination can always be the same, but you know, the roads that we travel to get there can be different. There's roadworks on some, the lights go on others, and you know, you you still believe that's where you were meant to go. So yeah, brilliant first moment. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. On to your second moment. So meeting my husband on a night out, I was not intending to go on. It was the eve of my 24th birthday and a friend called me asking if I wanted to go out to celebrate. I didn't want to, but ended up going. We went to a bar in Cardiff that we'd not been to for ages and that's where I met Aaron. So we love a good love story and this is a classic <laughs> sliding doors moment. So take us back to the eve of your birthday and explain how this came to be a sliding doors moment for you. So I was... Um just at home. I was actually in my parents' house. I had bought a flat in Cardiff, but I would I was spending time with my parents. I would still go home quite a lot. And I was back home in Ammonford. And yeah, a friend of mine um, called me and said, what are you doing tonight? And I was like, well, nothing really. You know, this was on MSN Messenger back in the day. So didn't really, you know, think that I was going to do anything else on the eve of my 24th birthday. It was a weeknight, I think. It was a Thursday night. And um, she said, look, let's let's go out. So long story short, she then, we both went to Swansea, actually, and then ended up at this bar that I'd not been to before. And walking in and me and my friend, we didn't know anyone there, you know, because I was... Um, it was not really a place that I would frequent. And even though I was uh, very much out, you know, I'd also kind of, I was never massively on the gay scene when I was younger. Um, so anyway, yeah. went to this bar and just saw this group of people walking in. And I saw this guy and I remember turning to my friend and saying, he, he's in our, he was in our school. And she said, no, I've never seen him before in my life. And I was like, no, he is <laughs> definitely from our town. He's either in my school that I went to or the school that she went to. We went to different schools. So she was like, well, he must have been to your school because I don't know him. So anyway, I went up to him and I introduced myself and he was at the bar. And I was like, oh, my name's Owain. I think you went to my school. And he was like, what school did you go to? And I said, Almond Valley School in Ammonford. And he was like, well, I'm from Merthyr. So no, never seen you before. And it was very, that <laughs> was very- it was a chat up line. Yeah, he totally did think it was a chat up line. And that was very <laughs> much it. He just sort of, we said our sort of goodbyes and off he went. And then I went back to my friend and I was like, no, like I know him. Like I, so went up to him again. And at this stage, he was literally like, like, I really don't know you. Like, I'm really sorry, but no. And then we got <laughs> chatting a little bit more then. So we ended up just chatting a little bit. And I gave him my number. We exchanged numbers. And he had to leave the bar early. So I kind of thought, well, he's not interested. You know, he's gone. So my friend and I had a nice night out. And then that was that. And then the person was Aaron, my husband. And we then started texting and we went on a couple of dates and it was definitely one of those slide indoors moments because had I not taken up my friend's offer to go out that night, I would have just stayed in Ammonford and I probably would never have gone to this bar again in Swansea and I wouldn't have met Aaron. That was 15 years ago. So, and here we are. So it's just a great slide indoors moment. Amazing. It's a brilliant love story, a brilliant slime doors moment, because as you say, you could have easily not gone out that night, which is the first thing. But the second thing is this weird thing of you thinking that you knew him. And as I say, it sounds like you were trying some lame chat up line, like, do I know you from yeah. somewhere? Which you weren't, you were just being yourself. But also the fact that you went up to him a second time, because again, when he told you that he didn't know you, you could have easily then not gone up to him again. Um, and I wanted to ask you, so 
where were you at in your kind of like dating life? Like, did, did marriage ever seem like it was something that you were going to do? Did you want a long-term relationship? Was it some, you know, where were you in terms of your your kind of self when you met him? Well, <clears throat> I'd been in a long-term relationship before then. Um, and then we broke up. And really it was, you know, I was just kind of young, free and single at that moment in time. And and I had no real intention of, you know, I wasn't going out looking for relationships and I wasn't dating really. I was just kind of seeing what life was throwing at me, I guess. And and even on that night, you know, I went out for a dance really, not to meet someone. Yeah. So I think I was just very open to whatever and meeting Aaron on that night was not a thing that I was intending on doing. It just kind of happened. And and as you said, the fact that I went up to him again, because I knew that there was something about this person. Um, and it, obviously there was a connection there from the start, I guess. So I just love that that, that person was Aaron. And then, yeah. you know, we ended up getting married um, six years ago. And it's amazing how life life is so... I find life so interesting how one little thing can change your or seemingly change your trajectory if that's what you believe in. So, Massively. and that was definitely one of those times. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's like, and it's really great inspiration for people because something was telling you to go to him, whether you were conscious of it or not going to him a second time. Yeah. And as I say, it's just that small thing and it was the universe pushing you there. And I really hope you thanked your friend in your wedding speech when you got married <laughs> to say, thank you for making me go on that night out. Absolutely. It's very much a kind of, you know, like with my job, getting the job with um, Mammy Anne, it was very much a, like, a moment that wouldn't have happened had it not been for being at a certain place at a certain time. Yeah. And what happens if you hadn't have gone on that night out? So you very easily couldn't have gone on that night out. Do you think your paths would ever have crossed anywhere else? No, because Aaron was in his, Aaron was in university in Swansea and I didn't really spend much time in Swansea and he didn't really, he did come out to Cardiff for the odd night out, but he'd been uh, going out to Cardiff for years and I'd never come across him, you know, or maybe I had, but, but I, I think that I would have, yeah, the, I definitely, when I saw him, I knew him. There was something about this man that I knew. So we probably would never have crossed paths. Yeah. Cause he doesn't work in my world. You know, he doesn't work in broadcasting or TV or radio or yeah. entertainment. So um, our, our paths would not really have crossed a true meant to be moment for sure. Yeah. Okay, so now on to your last sliding doors moment. So, deciding to film a video of myself drumming to the BBC News theme during the first lockdown, which changed my life. This led to an idea that I had for a drumathon, which later went on to raise £3.8 million. So, this is such a life-changing moment for you, but also such a life-changing moment for so many people of the money that you raise and the people that you've helped. So explain what made you make the video and how this led to you raising £3.8 million. Well, you know, even you telling that story then, Jenny, you know, it, it always makes me feel a bit emotional, you know, because it's just, it's such a, an amazing kind of story really because the first so the the video that you mentioned I call it the drumming weatherman video because that's what a lot of people knew me as mm -hmm. then and still do now really yeah um, so it was during the first lockdown so Aaron and I were living up in Leeds at the time we'd just finished renovating a house that we were living in and um you know we were miles away from our families Aaron was doing his PhD in the University of Leeds and I was working for, well, I was looking for look, working for Look North in Leeds. Then I left that because I was approached by Northwest Tonight, the other side of the Pennines. Mm -hmm. So I hadn't long had the Northwest Tonight job, actually. So I was commuting from Leeds to Manchester every day, which is only about an hour, really, over the Pennines. Um, yeah. And then lockdown happened. And I was still going into work because, you know, um, 
we were we were able to travel and were able to work. And my anxiety is a thing that's reared its head many times during my career. And I was doing cover for BBC Radio Manchester, hosting their mid-morning mm-hmm. show. And that really was a catalyst for a lot of things because it during the phone-in on one day, you know, we were having people calling in saying they were scared. And I remember, you know, my parents weren't, my parents were in their early 60s, I guess, at the time. And I just remember thinking about my parents, thinking, oh my God, if that was my mother or my father and they were in a situation like that, all I'd want to be is close to them to be able to help them. Yeah. So I remember in work having a, a, you know, just totally breaking down to one of the makeup artists there. Um, And she sort of took me away to a makeup room. And I just remember saying, God, I'm just, I I can't, I can't do this. You know, I'm finding this really hard being so far away from home and all of this stuff. So anyway, that basically then led me to, be very creative. And I knew that for my mental health, working from home was going to help me at the time because, you know, people were worried about COVID, all of this different stuff. Yeah. So I said, you know, so many people are working from home. Why don't we try doing the weather from home? And I, on my little phone, you know, recorded myself doing the weather. And then we were like, okay, yeah, this, this I think could work. So I then started doing my weather forecasts from home, from my garden. Yeah. And um, the drums were set up in the house. And I was the first weather presenter to do weather forecasts from home. And people loved it because people were stuck in their houses because they couldn't travel. We were lucky we had a nice garden, Jenny. So there was a nice view behind me. Um, and uh, the drums were there in the house. And Aaron said something like, well, you should do something with the drums and the weather since you're here now, you know, working from home. And at the time, there was a trend where people were, you know, it, was, it wasn't at the start of TikTok, but it was very kind of, you know, TikTok was in its prime yeah. and short form video, which I've done for years as a weather forecaster. Um, so I, I love, you know, mixing it up and doing little short videos and whatever for the weather. So then Aaron and I had this idea of, oh, why don't I do a, like a drum cover of the BBC News theme? And then, yeah, okay, that's a great idea. But at the start of it, why don't I pretend that I'm doing a weather forecast, right? And that I then, the music starts and I like run over to the drum kit and just absolutely smash them, you know, really (laughs) overplay the drums. So good. Oh, it was just ludicrous. Um, So I did it. I did it in one take during my working day, you know, during my lunch hour, actually, then I had to, you know, rush off and start doing my weather forecasts on my phone again in the garden with the cat. Um, Put it out on social media, thought some people might like it, might make some people smile. Oh my gosh. It went absolutely viral and global um, within 24 hours. It's mad. I remember. Yeah. And that's kind of how the Drumming Weatherman video was born then. Yeah. Amazing. And do you know what's really interesting about it? I mean, first of all is, is that it's such a catchy theme tune. I mean, I watch on Gogglebox and like Mo Gilligan's always like jamming to it. Like it's an amazing thing. And actually it's, as you say, you were trying to just relate to people going through a hard time. You put something out there and explain then because obviously the timing of everything also plays a part in all of this because you know you could have done that video another time and it was at a time when people needed to just see something that just brightened up their day so the video went viral and then what made you have this kind of spark of an idea to do the drumathon well I think the after the video went viral and people saw me as a drummer then as well as a weather presenter and I think one of the most interesting things about it is, and, and you know, you can watch reaction videos of it on the internet where people are watching it and people are saying, I was not expecting him to be able to do that. You know, I think it's because <laughs> yeah, amazing. I, I'm there, you know, with a quiff, with a kind of flamboyance, with a big, you know, shiny brooch. Uh, yeah. So people were, it was surprising. And then people realized that, you know, I was a drummer and this is a thing that I've been doing for a while. And 
the this drumming weatherman video just became even now people yesterday somebody stopped me to talk about it you know it happens almost every yeah. day people will either talk about the drumathon or the drumming weatherman video um still um so I remember it clear as day. We were then living in Manchester. We moved to Manchester to renovate another house. And we were walking into town from where we lived. And the, so I have to give Aaron really full credit for the <laughs> drumathon because it was his idea. Okay. He said to me, wouldn't it be amazing if you could do something where you could either like break a record for drumming or you could do some kind of marathon drumathon and we were like yeah great idea and i i remember aaron turning to me and saying oh why wouldn't it be amazing if you could raise a million pounds oh, and i was like aaron hold your horses no way. <laughs> like i'm not going to be able to raise a million quid but if i you know if i were to raise 50 grand or 200,000 yeah. that would be amazing so we took the idea to my agent and he loved it, thought it was a great idea. I started mentioning it to people and Children in Need took it up. They loved it. And this was almost a year before the Drumathon actually happened. Oh, so okay. it was, yeah, it was about maybe a year-ish after the Drumming Weatherman video. And then it took about another year for the Drumathon to happen. and. Um, the thing that I found the most amazing thing about the Drumathon, Jenny, was is that I went into it <laughs> being, you know, I was conditioned for about three months physically in order yeah. to be able to actually play the drums for 24 hours. I bet. So I had an amazing guy called, yeah, because it, it's hard, a guy called Greg White, Professor Greg White, who does a lot of the Children in Need challenges um, I was in the gym every day, you know, my body completely changed. I was learning to, um, wear in your monitors like this that I'm wearing now. So like headphones basically, and play the drums and speak to people, conduct interviews because yeah. the drumathon for anyone who saw it was also a 24 hour chat show mm -hmm. where I was there doing this show for 24 hours. When the drumathon happened, BBC breakfast was the platform for it. So on the morning of the drumathon, I remember going into the breakfast studio thinking, oh my gosh, what am I doing? You know, what am I, is this going to be a success? Yeah. I just want to finish it. I remember thinking to myself, I just want to play the drums for 24 hours because there were lots of what ifs about that because it was so emotionally draining having to speak for 24 hours and think for 24 imagine, hours. Yeah. I wasn't just sitting there playing the drums um and then we heard i think it was about midnight that it looked like we might get a million so they held this information back from me for a little bit because they you know these were the hard hours they wanted to to give me something to kind of help focus my mind really because it was hard and then i was told and then that was just the most amazing moment. We've raised, it looks like we'll raise a million pounds by the end of it, the projection. But then as it got harder, you know, people were tuning in then on breakfast in the morning. The donations kept on coming in and we raised 1.6 million on that morning. And then... It, within 24 hours or 48 hours, it had essentially doubled. And I, it was just the most amazing moment. It was an incredible life-changing moment for me, Jenny, that it, 3.8 million quid. What? You know, I can't believe it. I know. It's, it's such a brilliant moment because if we really take it back, it's, you know, as you say, you were the, you were the weatherman. People didn't really know about this kind of drumming side to you. And the fact that you decided to do this video, um, 
you know, it really did probably like catapult you into just even more of a sphere where more people knew about you, you know, people that had seen you on the local weather knew you, but actually you probably got so much more well-known that then kind of obviously made you do the drumathon. But what is amazing about this is, is it didn't just change your life because I'm sure, you know, it changed life for you in certain ways when it comes to, you know, your career and, you know, people seeing you and knowing who you are, but you changed the life of so many people with the money that you've raised, like so overwhelming. It's so brilliant. And, you know, you mentioned there that one of kind of the best parts was when you found out you raised a million, but in terms of like the people that came to support you and like, you know, the whole 24 hours, what was your favorite moment? My favorite moment, I think there were so many because I've made proper friends during the drumathon. You know, I met professional drummers like Steve White from the Style Council, actually one of the best drummers in the world. You know, he is one of the best drummers in the world. He was there and Steve's a friend of mine now. And people like Cherise Osei from Simple Minds and Vicky O'Neon, who is Anastasia's drummer. All of these people um, who actually, as as a drummer myself, but as a person who was actually a TV presenter, I would really never come across these people in day-to-day life. Yeah. So suddenly I was in this sphere with professional world, you know, world-known drummers and having messages from people like Dave Grohl, you know, bonkers. But also there's one moment which is on my Instagram, actually, on my highlights kind of reel when I finished it, I wanted to start the drumathon with Celine Dion, River Deep, Mountain High. Mm-hmm. Great song. And I wanted to end it with Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. Because, again, I wanted to show that drumming isn't all about rock songs and smashing yeah. drums hard. You know, it can be about pop songs. And when I finished Baby and they finished the countdown, um, confetti cannons went off. And I remember Aaron ran over to me and Sam and Joe, who I mentioned earlier, who, you know, the first sliding doors moment, they were there. They ran over to me and the four of us just hugged behind my drum kit. And that moment was captured on TV. And I then sort of, I'm even getting emotional now thinking about it, Jenny. That was the moment for me that I realized, gosh, we've done something amazing here that's going to change people's lives. Oh, Owen, it's so beautiful. It's such a beautiful moment. I'm going to go and watch all those videos again. Um, And I guess it's hard to think because it's had such a ripple effect. And as you say, you don't even know how much this one sliding doors moment has changed the lives of so many children and people. But what if you'd not have posted that video of you drumming to the BBC theme tune? Uh, You know, that is, that's something I've not really thought too much about, but when you think about it, my gosh, none of this would have happened because the drumathon certainly would have happened, would not have happened because people wouldn't have known me as the drumming weatherman and probably wouldn't have got behind it in the way that they did. And not everybody knows me or knew me, but it definitely made those who did know who I was think, oh my gosh, he's he's going to play the drums for 24 hours and he's not a professional drummer. What? You know? Yeah. So it's just, it, it was a life-changing moment. Yeah. Oh, Owain, what incredible moments you've had in your life. I love that we've spoken about everything from kind of love to, you know, your passions of your drumming and then how your career started. I've loved listening to all of them. And I think you're going to have way more moments as your career goes on. Um, Best of luck for the next six months of your brilliant radio show. Um, And yeah, just thank you for being so open and honest and sharing your moments with our listeners today. Oh, Jenny, it has been such a treat. Thank you so much. It's been lovely coming on to chat to you. And um, yeah, thank you for your kind words as well. I, you know, I'm having a lovely time. <laughs> oh, my absolute pleasure. Thanks, Owain. Thanks, Jenny. Take care. See you soon. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sliding Doors. If you've enjoyed our chat and found it inspiring, I would love it if you could rate, review, share and subscribe. Thank you so much. 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.